Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event details on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Rape is not a punishment for getting drunk. You deserve a hangover, a really bad hangover, but you don't deserve to have somebody insert their body parts inside of you. Her name is Chanel Miller, but before now, she was known to most of the world as Emily Doe, a sexual assault survivor who endured a trial in which privilege and power seemed to trump victims' rights. You took away my worth, my privacy, my safety, my confidence, my own voice, until today. Chanel Miller's story paved the way for the modern-day Me Too movement. And tonight, for the first time, she tells her own story. You may have heard something about a one-handed linebacker playing in the NFL. As downfield, the play is made. And you may know that Shaquem Griffin has a twin brother who stars on the same team. Intercepted by Shaquille Griffin. That's one remarkable story, right? Well, wait until you hear the story about the childhood pact between the twin brothers that exist to this day. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time and your financial solutions can too. 
Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you? That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love or visit www.pacificlife.com. You probably don't know the name Chanel Miller, but chances are you have heard of her court case and the name used to protect her identity, Emily Doe. She was sexually assaulted in 2015 by a Stanford University athlete named Brock Turner, who was found guilty of three felonies, including assault with intent to rape. Before his sentencing, Emily Doe stood in the courtroom and delivered a powerful victim impact statement detailing the emotional trauma the assault and the legal process had put her through. It instantly went viral, becoming a kind of manifesto for assault survivors all over the world. Tonight, Chanel Miller reclaims her identity as the author of that statement and shares her story for the first time. As you're about to see... She chooses her words carefully when she speaks, just as she did when she put them to paper for her new book, aptly titled, Know My Name. So this is where you write? Mm Mm-hmm. For the last three years, Chanel Miller has been writing her own story. Here are some of the drafts. The 27-year-old majored in literature at UC Santa Barbara and has wanted to be a writer since she was a child. Police reports. She decided to relive the most painful experience of her life because she believes her story, filtered through the glare of the media and restrictive lens of the courtroom, remains untold. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't your top choice to write a book about this. It's not the topic I would have chosen, but it was the topic I was given. So start at the top and uh, let them have it. We were there when she recorded her audio book. In January 2015, I was 22, living and working in my hometown of Palo Alto, California. I attended a party at Stanford. She didn't attend Stanford University, but she grew up in its shadow. Why did you decide to go to a fraternity party? You, you were out of college at that time. My sister was home for the weekend, and it was my way of spending time with her. So people were drinking? Yes. A lot of red cups, like a typical fraternity scene. Do you remember having fun at the party? What were you doing? I was dancing on top of a chair, and my sister was sort of coaxing me down to stop embarrassing her. Chanel has never denied she drank a combination of whiskey, vodka, and champagne. You drank until you blacked out. Mm-hmm. She came to about four hours later in a hospital, surrounded by nurses and a police deputy. She had abrasions all over her body. Her hair was tangled with pine needles. I had no idea how to put those pieces together. How did they tell you? what they thought had happened. All they said was that I had been found and that somebody had been 
arrested and that he had been chased down because he had been acting hinky. Hinky was the word the detective used. Did they tell you where you were found? Behind a dumpster. What they didn't tell her was that her underwear and cell phone were found on the ground by her body. They also didn't tell her there were witnesses, two of them, who not only saw the attack, they stopped it. Swedish grad students Peter Johnson and Carl Arndt were riding their bikes to the party that night when they saw something disturbing behind the dumpster outside the frat house. We see a couple lying on the ground with uh, one person on top of the other. He was moving a lot, but we just saw her lying there completely still. They realized the woman was unconscious. Johnson says when he approached them, the man, later identified as Brock Turner, got up and ran. I, I didn't really have time to think, so I just chased after him. I remember quite vividly, like I was on his left side and I got my right leg in front of him and then I took my body, uh, my upper body, and threw him over my leg and down on the ground. So, Carl, you go over to help Peter hold Brock Turner down. Yes. He was trying to get loose. Like he, was, he was squirming, trying to get away? Yeah. Did he seem drunk? Not super drunk. Like, he could talk. And he clearly could run. Without they held him until police arrived. They also checked on Chanel. She was completely unconscious. I was trying to, like, shake her and nothing happened. Chanel was taken by ambulance to the hospital in San Jose. Early that morning, she was examined and told she may have been sexually assaulted. The deputy asked if she'd be willing to undergo a rape kit test. She agreed. Did it sink in the gravity of your situation? Absolutely not. I just thought I had passed out somewhere and that there was a suspicious man at the party who had been behaving in an odd way, and I had no idea that he was connected directly to me in any way. Chanel's sister, who had left the party early and had been frantically calling and looking for her, got a call from Chanel at the hospital and came to pick her up. The sisters agreed not to tell anyone, not even their parents, until Chanel knew more. For 10 long days, she heard nothing, not from the hospital, police, a counselor, nobody. What's going through your head? In order to survive, you just shut everything down. You have to function. You have to go to work in the morning. So it was much easier to just repress everything. Of course I had questions. I woke up and didn't have underwear. Why is that? No one tells me where it went. But you just have to keep living. Then one morning at her job at a small tech startup in Silicon Valley, this item popped up on her newsfeed. The words Stanford, rape, and intoxicated, unconscious woman leapt off the screen. She knew it was her. And she learned for the first time that her assailant had penetrated her, with his fingers at the very least. That's how you found out what happened to you? Yes. Reading... An article online? Yes. It was surreal having the news broken to me by the internet. I was alone, sitting at my desk, surrounded by co-workers. 
reading about how I was stripped and then penetrated and discarded in a bed of pine needles behind a dumpster. And that's how I figured out all of those elements. And they all added up. And I finally understood. The name Brock Turner Mm. was mentioned in the article. Had you heard his name before? Never. The first thing I did after reading the article was read the comments, and there were many hateful words. What, What were some of the comments? What was she doing at a frat party? This isn't really rape. Why was she alone? She's the predator because she's older. Why would you ever get that drunk? It was endless. So what do you say to those critics? People who say, you did drink until you blacked out. You did make yourself vulnerable. Mm -hmm. What do you say to those people? Rape is not a punishment for getting drunk. And we have this really sick mindset in our culture as if you deserve rape if you drink to excess. You deserve a hangover, a really bad hangover, but you don't deserve to have somebody insert their body parts inside of you. The day the news broke, she received a call. It was Deputy District Attorney Alale Kianersi who told Chanel she would be handling the case. Were there specific elements of this case that stood out to you? I mean, the entirety of it, the fact that it was a Stanford swimmer who was an Olympic hopeful, really a privileged athlete and student. So that stood out, the fact that it was so very clear to anyone who encountered Chanel that evening um, that she was not conscious, that she was super intoxicated. So she was in no position to consent. What did his privilege and Stanford have to do with making this more difficult to prosecute? A lot of people were looking at what Brock Turner had to lose versus what he did to Chanel. And so the narrative changed. We were almost on the defense explaining why Chanel got too intoxicated. Instead of focusing the attention on why did he think it was okay? Why did he think that he could take advantage of her when she was in such a vulnerable state? The case received international attention. The media couldn't resist the story of the fallen athlete from one of America's most prestigious schools. To protect her identity, Chanel was dubbed Emily Doe. Turner was almost always identified by his accomplishments in the pool. When you saw the description of him as a champion swimmer on the Stanford swim team, what did you think of that? I didn't understand why it was relevant when you're also reporting that my lower half was completely exposed, that my necklace was wrapped around my neck, that my hair was disheveled, that my bra was only covering one breast and the rest was pulled out of my dress. I don't understand why it is relevant how quickly he can move across a body of water in the context of that article. Did you feel that that description of him as a championship swimmer sort of changed the narrative? Yes. They were framing it like he had so much to lose and were not focusing on what had already been lost for me. By then, she had told her boyfriend and parents But despite their love and support, she felt alone. Chanel told us she became angry, withdrawn, and deeply depressed. I would just sit at work and do nothing. 
I would stare at the screen, and then I would come home, and I wouldn't sleep. And so physically, I began breaking down. She didn't want anyone to know she was Emily Doe, the woman in the news. Four years later, the trauma remains just below the surface. I felt if anyone ever found out that that was me, that it would be absolutely humiliating. I felt dirty and embarrassed. I my dream is to write. Children's books. I felt no parent is going to want me as a role model if I'm just the discarded, drunk, half-naked body behind a dumpster. Nobody wants to be that. How did you carry on? Well, when I was reliving all of this, I thought, well, the same night the assault happened, a miracle also happened, which was that I was saved. And thinking of the two Swedes who knew to do the right thing and who wanted me really to be okay, always gave me hope. So they changed the story. They changed the story. They changed the entire trajectory of my life. Chanel Miller was at the center of one of the most high-profile and consequential trials in recent memory. She was sexually assaulted in 2015 by Brock Turner, a former Stanford University athlete, now a convicted felon. Known during the contentious trial as Emily Doe, a name used to protect her identity, Chanel Miller would become an anonymous icon for assault survivors the world over. Tonight, in her first television interview, Chanel Miller takes us back to 2016 as the trial approached for the then 23-year-old. What was it like when you finally realized that you were going to have to face Brock Turner in court. It was absolute dread. And I went to a therapist, almost like a personal trainer, and said, you have three weeks to get me mentally ready. But until then, I thought, you have to drag me into the courtroom because I'm not going to go. The case would become a media maelstrom. Chanel Miller told us that as bad as the previous 14 months had been, nothing prepared her for the cold, adversarial, and intimidating atmosphere inside the courtroom. I remember standing outside the courtroom doors, and there's a very thin sliver of window in the door where you can look in. And I remember seeing the back of Brock's head and his neck, and I thought, wow, this is, this is him it is incredibly difficult for a victim of sexual assault to walk into court in front of their perpetrator and recount the worst thing that happened to them in a room full of strangers. Deputy District Attorney Alale Kianersi had charged Brock Turner with three felony sex crimes. Rape charges were dropped because there was no evidence of intercourse, which was required in California at the time. 
but she was convinced she had a strong case because of the two Swedish eyewitnesses. They were integral. Without them, we would not know the identity of Brock Turner. They chased him down, and they physically held him down until police arrived. He's an athlete. This is somebody who got into school because of his you know, physical prowess. And these are two engineering grad students. And they're really the most important reason why Chanel didn't suffer a more devastating sexual assault. Because I believe, and I argue this to the jury, that had they not stopped him, he would have completed the, the rape. So what was the hardest part about making your case to the jury? Chanel had no memory. She was completely unconscious or too intoxicated to remember the immediate uh, moments before. So we had a perpetrator who was able to write the script. Turner's first draft of that script was his police interrogation, conducted just hours after the attack. He told a detective he met Chanel outside the frat house. They started kissing and that he followed her holding hands behind the dumpster. He said he placed his hand between her legs and she seemed to enjoy it. He also told police he didn't recall running when the Swedish grad students interrupted them. But when Turner got on the witness stand 14 months later, his story changed. Now, he said, he recalled meeting and dancing with Chanel inside the fraternity, asking her to go back to his dorm room, leaving together, slipping and falling and laughing. Then, he said, he specifically asked her if he could touch her intimately, and she said yes. And now he admitted running from the Swedish grad students, who he claimed attacked him. I thought you are bound by the truth. I thought those are the rules. That's how court works. You wrote that this version of events sounded like a poorly written young adult novel. Yes. There was a lot of tumbling and laughing. Sounds at great odds with what he said shortly after having been arrested. It was all completely new. He had written a new narrative. So in this new narrative, you're in agreement. The new narrative was extremely convenient because he needed consent. He needed the word yes. Turner would add one more lurid detail. He claimed under oath that she had climaxed. Oh, I was livid. I didn't understand why it had been allowed to go that far. I think you told us before that you felt as though you had been assaulted a second time. I felt like I was assaulted multiple times every time you're reliving this. Like, this is the list of body parts submitted as evidence. The trial took its toll, the barrage of questions, the mortifying photos of her half-naked and unconscious body shown in open court. And worst, she says, Turner's defense attorney constantly objecting and cutting her off to make her words fit his narrative. And I remember in court, the defense attorney always said, Chanel has no memory. Chanel has no memory. And I remember sitting there and thinking, I will remember everything. I will remember every remark. I will remember the lighting inside this courtroom. 
I will remember the texture of the defense attorney's hair. I will remember the depth of the pain you made me feel. I will remember it, and I will record it, and I will write it so that it will not be lost. Chanel poured all of those memories, feelings, and frustrations into her memoir, Know My Name. With anguish and humor, she takes on a criminal justice system she says fails the most vulnerable. I want to read something you wrote. This was not a quest for justice, but a test of endurance. Mm. Swearing under oath was just a made-up promise. Honesty was for children. That's what the courtroom experience felt like to you? Yes. After Brock's testimony, it felt like all rules had been abandoned. He will go to any end to come out of this without a guilty conviction. And for me, it felt like how many times can we make her relive this? After all those traumatic days, you get the verdict. Tell me about the verdict. My heart was beating extremely loud. It was deafening. It was really hard for me to focus, and I was just waiting for the sound of guilty. And she heard it. All 12 jurors found Brock Turner guilty of all three felony counts. But it wasn't over. The sentencing was two months away, and Chanel was asked by the deputy DA to write a victim impact statement, a letter to the judge to inform his decision. It's basically documentation of your thoughts and feelings throughout this process. And I majored in literature, which was basically four years of talking about my feelings and reading about other people's feelings. So I thought, wow, there's an assignment that exists in the world that I was made to do. She had been keeping notes on her iPhone throughout the process. And in one impassioned all-nighter, she wove them into a defiant first-person narrative. A few days before the sentencing, she gave it to the prosecutor. When I first read her letter, I immediately shared it with people because I thought, this is so good. This is what we see victims go through, what we know that they go through, but it's never been summarized in such an articulate and profound way. Chanel recently read those words for her audiobook. Your Honor, if it is all right, for the majority of this statement, I would like to address the defendant directly. You don't know me, but you've been inside me, and that's why we're here today. Chanel spoke directly to her assailant in court. She says she noticed people crying. Brock Turner wouldn't look at her. Your damage was concrete stripped of titles, degrees, enrollment. My damage was internal, unseen. I carry it with me. You took away my worth, my privacy, my energy, my time, my safety, my intimacy, my confidence, my own voice, until today. As he handed down his sentence, Judge Aaron Persky acknowledged Chanel's words, but also cited the defendant's good character, the fact that he'd been drinking, and the impact prison would have on his life. Judge Persky sentenced Turner to six months in jail, a sentence at the low end of state guidelines. With good behavior, he'd walk free in 90 days. 
your prosecutor had been asking for six years. Yes. How did that hit you? I was in shock. So you're saying I just put aside a year and a half of my life so he could go to county jail for three months. There are young men, particularly young men of color, serving longer sentences for nonviolent crimes, for having a teeny weeny bit of marijuana in their pockets. And he's just been convicted of three felonies, and he's going to serve one month for each felony. How can you explain that to me? Chanel didn't think her voice had been heard, but it had. The news website BuzzFeed asked to publish her impact statement in its entirety. Without giving it much thought, she agreed. I didn't think it would take off anywhere, and I actually felt really vulnerable again, thinking... Why am I putting myself out there one last time? You know, who's going to sit and read through this entire thing? But then the views started trickling in, and soon there's 100,000, then 500,000, and by the end of the day, it was a million. Within four days, it hit 11 million. By then, her statement had been shared globally, published by newspapers, and read aloud in its entirety on TV. Members of Congress staged readings in the Capitol. You have dragged me through this hell with you. And so did people all over the world. You don't know me, but you've been inside of me. And thousands of emails and letters addressed to Emily Doe flooded the courthouse, eventually making their way to her kitchen table. So these started coming in the next day. The next day. And it was really like medicine. Reading these was like feeling the shame dissolve, you know, bringing all the light in. You heard from a number of survivors? So many survivors. And sometimes they would say, you are the first person I'm telling this to, or this is the first time I've been able to speak in six years. In the wake of the sentencing, there was a national uproar, and after a contentious special election, Judge Aaron Persky became the first judge to be recalled from California's bench in more than 80 years. The case also led to significant changes in California law, setting mandatory prison sentences for anyone convicted of assaulting a person who is unconscious or intoxicated and expanding the definition of rape to include non-consensual sexual penetration. I mean, that's democracy in action. Within 90 days, the law was changed. All because of her words and her strength. What do you think of that? I'm extremely proud of that. I'll take the defeat of a light sentence for a change in the law. Two bills were signed into law by California Governor Jerry Brown. Alloway mailed me a copy of the signed document, like a certificate that granted me the right to sleep peacefully, knowing this botched sentencing would not be repeated. I began to believe again in justice. After the trial, Brock Turner was required to register as a sex offender. His appeal of his felony convictions was unanimously rejected by three judges last year. Next Sunday, 60 Minutes begins our 52nd season, and we plan to do it with a splash. 
we'll voyage off the Atlantic coast to explore why the ocean's great white sharks have been going to the beach. You're standing there. You, you don't would, know that shark. You have no idea. You don't know that shark. No here. idea. She's like 10 feet offshore. Yeah, it's very close now. I'm Bill Whitaker. We'll be back with that and more next week on our season premiere edition of 60 Minutes. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.